Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often, they are founded in fact. Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California. I'm Krista, and we are the Sixth Sense Society. Welcome again to another episode of the Sixth Sense Society. Tonight, we are thrilled to welcome back my father, Dr. George Schwimmer, who's been a metaphysician for over 40 years, an author of over 20 books, and a healer. And he's going to be talking with us about the legendary lost continent of Mu. So stay tuned. Michael is going to, however, give us some announcements of the shows coming up. Hi, guys. Sorry that we're starting a few minutes late tonight, but we had a couple of little technical issues, but we're up and running now, so I'm glad you guys were patient. Um, yeah, we have some really great stuff coming up. Um, and next week, we have our good friend Humberto Braga, Humberto Braga here. Sorry about that, Humberto. Um, and he's going to be talking about how to raise your consciousness, and, and I think that's going to be an amazing show. Um, the following week, my good friend, thera therapist Merle Yost, will be here, and he's going to be going through a lot of his healing stuff and, and modalities and some of the workshops he does and talking about it, which is going to be fascinating as well. Um, and then in October... It's all things paranormal. If you love ghost hunters, you're going to love October. It's just ghost, ghosts, and more ghosts. So we're going to have all kinds of cool people. Our friend Jeff Mandel is going to be here, and he's a tech guy, so he's going to be talking about some of the tech stuff, um, what works, what doesn't work. We've got a, a ghost photographer that pho photographs haunted places and all kinds of cool stuff coming up. So check our website. Um, Pay attention to that, and you can find out all about the shows. Um, just a reminder, again, in October, we're also going to be switching to a new time slot, which will be Tuesdays. We're looking either 12 or 1 o'clock Pacific in, at lunchtime and around there somewhere. So we'll let you guys know probably next week for sure what time it's going to be. So keep an eye out for that as well. Um, and with that, I'm going to turn it back over to Krista, and we're really looking forward to the topic tonight. I think it's going to be a ton of fun. Great. Thanks, Michael. So welcome, Dad. Hi. So uh, what would you like to start with? Would you like to maybe tell people exactly what this civilization was and when it was? Okay, I'd like to start off, first of all, with uh, what uh, constitutes proof. Uh, you know, in uh, criminal law, uh, proof is uh, proving a case beyond a reasonable doubt. In civil courts, however, proof is uh, of a case is by preponderance of the evidence, and that's what I'm going to be uh, presenting tonight. However, uh, preponderance is, uh, means 51% uh, or more. But uh, the uh, fact that I'm going to be uh, giving uh, tonight constitute a heck of a lot more than 51%. And I don't know of any place uh, else that has... Uh, uh, this collection of facts, uh, partly because a lot of the facts just sort of came to me, uh, which is a strange phenomenon that's happened to me for years now. Uh, you know, in many murder cases, uh, no body is found, but the defendants are found guilty by circumstantial evidence. That's a good point. Uh, the, uh, the same applies to the destruction of the continent of Mu. I can't uh, uh, present uh, the continent, but a great deal of circumstantial evidence exists uh, more than enough to prove my case. Now, uh, one of the things uh, with geologists, you know, a lot of people have uh, a lot of uh, uh, doubts about uh, so-called uh, science. And uh, one of the people who uh, um, did the most research, uh, which I'll get to in a moment, uh, Colonel uh, James Churchward, he had a very uh, dim view of geologists, and I can understand why. Hmm. Uh, they're you know, most of them are academics, and uh, they're afraid of their reputation, so they don't stick their necks out. So, uh, you know, uh, I don't know a single study done by a single geologist uh, that looked into uh, 
uh, the possible existence of Mu. I didn't, didn't run across a single one. Wow. Now, my, my search for Mu came about uh, from personal events by chance, supposedly. In July of 2005, I began studying Peruvian Caro shamanism as taught by Dr. Alberto Violdo. And over 20 months, I took five week-long workshops, which included receiving the sacred Munaiki rites, which were bestowed on me by the Caro shamans uh, who'd come from Peru. And uh, although the Caro, which is uh, usually spelled in the Spanish manner, uh, capital Q apostrophe E-R-O, the Caro are said to be uh, direct descendants of the Inca, but the shamans told us that they actually are the descendants of the Laika, L-A-I-K-A, which means the wisdom keepers who had lived in Peru long before the Inca. And uh, the word uh, Caro also spelled Mm K-E-R-O, I discovered is actually the name for a ceremonial cup made of different kinds of materials, and the word means container. So the Caro are the containers of wisdom, they told us. That's cool. Yeah. And Alberto said the Munaiki rites date back 100,000 years, and that really got my attention and the curiosity. And for the next couple of years, I kept wondering where the rites might have come from. I mean, 100,000 years, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, cavemen were supposed to be around at 50,000 years. So where, where was this coming from? And uh, at this time, I was living in Los Angeles and had previously lived uh, for two years in Santa Barbara, which will become relevant uh, later. And in October of 2007, uh, 2007, I decided to move to Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I had no good reason for doing this. And I still don't know why I'm here. (laughs) But I came here. Well, that's the way my life has been for the last 40 years. So anyway... I was still wondering about the origins of the Carol Rites, and I finally began looking on the internet for books about the legendary lost continent of Mu or Lemuria. Uh, I'd run across the name um, when reading about Edward Casey and a, a couple other places, but nobody really ever said anything about uh, Mu. They just said, oh, well, you know, uh, it supposedly existed, and that was about the end of uh, uh, what uh, they wrote in books. And uh, as you probably know, people tend to use both Mu and Lemuria interchangeably to designate the lost continents. But I, after this research, I, I don't use Lemuria anymore. I just use Mu. Mm-hmm. Now, cur- but curiously, this is this is really curious. The word lemur, which is an animal, of course, right, is derived is derived from the ancient Latin word lemuras. L-E-M-U-R-E-S, which means spirits of. And the Romans had a festival for the dead that was called Feast of Lemuris or Lemuria, hmm. which, which is pretty strange. Yeah. Well, I, eventually I found five paperbacks about Mu, which had been written by British Colonel James Churchward, and he lived from 1851 to 1936. And he had researched Mu for 50 years after uh, having been in India and met uh, uh, a priest uh, who showed him some ancient tablets, uh, which he was able to decipher uh, with the priest's help. Now, some of Churchward's information was unverifiable since he had promised not to reveal where he'd obtained it which was from this ancient Indian temple. But there also was enough verifiable material to make a strong circumstantial case that Mu had, in fact, existed. And so I went, uh, I continued my research, uh, buying other books and doing research online, uh, including uh, doing research on the Edgar Casey readings. And he, he didn't refer to Mu a whole lot, maybe a dozen times. But, Compared to, uh, like, Atlantis, refer- right? Yeah, his focus was Atlantis because most of the people uh, who came to him had uh, past lives in Atlantis. I don't recall very many people who, uh, more than a handful, who had uh, past lives that uh, he mentioned that come from Mu. Hmm. So what I'm going to discuss today are some of the facts I discovered. 
Great. Okay, according to Colonel Churchward and Edgar Casey, Mu was the first great Earth civilization. Uh, uh, Churchward said it had a population of 64 million people, situated, of course, in the Pacific Ocean, on a continent which was made up of three large land masses, each of which was separated by a channel of water. The continent was at least 5,000 miles by 3,000 miles in size. Uh, the civilization, uh, thought to have lasted for at least 100,000 years, was destroyed by the sinking and inundation of the continent in three stages. Approximately 50,000 B.C., 28,000 B.C., and finally 11,000 B.C. Now, these figures keep coming up over and over again. You'll see, you'll hear me mention it in different contexts, but those seem to be the three uh, times. They were brought down by volcanic eruptions, earthquakes, and the collapse of huge subterranean gas belts under the continent, uh, according to Churchward. Excuse me. Now, the, there is one piece of literary work. The oldest literary work on the planet, the Rig Veda, tells of an immense continent named Rutas, R-U-T-A-S, far to the east of India and home to people who worship the sun. Keep that in mind. Okay. Ru Rutas was torn apart by volcanic upheaval and dropped to the ocean floor, exactly as Churchward and Casey had uh, said. Fragments of the continent remained as Indonesia and the Pacific Islands, and some survivors reached India, according to the Rig Veda. So, so there is some written evidence, although this is way after the events. Mm -hmm. Now, Indonesia is made up of 17,500 islands, and it has a long history of powerful eruptions and earthquakes. It's uh, ringed by a chain of volcanoes and lies between the world's most active seismic region, uh, the, the notorious Pacific Ring of Fire, and the world's second most uh, active region, the Alpide Belt. Hmm. And... Uh, in addition, about 90% of all the world's earthquakes and 80% of the world's largest earthquakes strike along the Ring of Fire. That's amazing. The ring, the ring is home to 452 volcanoes, which is 75% of the world's active and dormant volcanoes. So you can see uh, right, right away mm. that this area is uh, certainly a prime suspect sure. uh, for the, the destruction of Mu. Okay, now Mu's primary uh, orientation uh, was spiritual, not technical, like Atlantis. And although Mu was called the Empire of the Sun, and that'll keep coming back also, uh, Churchward emphasized that the people of Mu did not practice sun worship. This is one of the, the crazy things that uh, anthropologists keep on uh, uh, bringing forward, saying that uh, uh, these people were primitive and they worshiped the sun. Uh, they didn't worship the sun. The sun was a symbol which represented the great cosmic sun, which in turn was a symbol for the creator. And uh, Mu was additionally called the lands of the West uh, in South America because the Mu lay west of South America. Uh, Edgar Cayce, in a 1932 reading, stated that, quote, the Andean or the Pacific coast of South America then occupied extreme eastern portion of Lemuria. So Lemuria actually uh, ended uh, further uh, east uh, than uh, Churchward said, and it extended actually to the west coast of the United States, which I'll mention uh, shortly. Fascinating. Now, the, the, the settlers from Mu came to the lands of Peru and other parts of South America. They came to the area of Mexico City, they also came to Southern California. Uh, Edgar Casey, in one reading, said one entity who was from Mu established near what is now Santa Barbara the Temple of the Sun and Moon. And you'll hear more about temples of the sun and moon elsewhere. But that's that's fascinating. You know, I keep wondering 
is there is there some way of finding this temple? It would be fantastic. Oh, that would be could. amazing. Yes. Now, immigrants from Mu later went to the area of Oregon and to the lands in the current states of New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada, Utah, and Colorado. And later on, descendants uh, of the Moose settlers in South America and Mexico also migrated uh, to those five areas, uh, while still other um, migrants uh, came uh, directly from Moose when that civilization was about to be destroyed. And you have to keep this in mind that this was in three stages. So they had had two previous stages, and so they had a good idea if you know when when something was going to happen. Right. Uh, Churchward and Casey both stated that the Hopi, and I found that the Ho- the Hopi's full name is Hopi Tu She Nu Mu. The oh, I never heard that. Wow. M U. That's amazing. So both, the Hopi, both the Hopi and the Navajo and other Native American peoples of the Western states were descendants of immigrants from Mu. I read elsewhere that Casey says that the uh, Native Americans on the East Coast all came from Atlantis. Now, uh, here's another interesting thing about that, that is written. In 1990, a Hopi elder named Oswald White Bear Fredericks, who was then 85, uh, dictated his knowledge of the Hopi Bear Clan's ancient past, in which he stated that his Hopi ancestors originally had come from Mu. Wow. He said these he said these ancient people had built Titicaca, a very large city that now uh, is at the bottom of Lake Titicaca, which lies between Peru and Bolivia, and that Tiwanaco had been part of that city on its outskirts. And over long periods of time, White Bear's clan and others, of course, then migrated northward, and finally the Hopi uh, settled permanently in Arizona. Confirming both Casey's and Churchward's assertions. Now, with uh, the final destruction of Mu, some survivors also moved further westward around the globe from Mu uh, to create other empires, accounting for similarities in language, customs, far history, architecture, farming, and so on uh, in those parts of the world. And virtually every society and group around the Pacific Ocean, including Native Americans, has in its oral history an account of the destruction of a great society in a flood and that its ancestors had come from this uh, continent. I remember reading uh, one time that there are 500 stories of the flood around the world. Yes, there is a lot. Now... For many years, uh, there have been, as the most people know, inexplicable ruins and statues uh, around the Pacific uh, Islands. Uh, and the best known uh, are the large and mysterious Easter Island heads. And nobody's been able to make heads or tails of that. However, in 2012, it was announced that these heads have bodies. In its winter uh, 2012 issue of Venture Inward Newsletter, the following was published, quote, among the Easter Island State Project team discoveries was the astonishing fact that the dirt and debris partially burying the statues was washed down from above and was not deliberately placed there to bury, uh, protect, or to support the figures. Now, these figures are huge. Yes. And this type of debris that they're uh, covered with is common to flood zones, Mm. mainly sand and and pebbles, the kind of pebbles and grayish clay that's found after a tsunami. Remember tsunami, because we're going to keep coming back to that over and over again. So uh, it's obvious that the statues were partially covered over by gigantic tsunamis during the final inundation of Mu. Mm -hmm. From the photographs, which you can see online now, it appears that dozens of feet of earth, it looks like at least 24 feet, maybe more, Mm -hmm. and debris 
covers the bottom of these huge statues and the whole island. Now, get this. There are 887 statues on the island. That's amazing. 397 partially completed statues are in the main quarry. Hmm. And here's what somebody has written. It appears that statue creation was in full swing when they rather quickly stopped making statues. End of quote. Now tell me, who in their right mind just stops making 397 huge statues? No one. I mean, it doesn't doesn't happen. Right. So obviously, the artisans were swept away by the tsunami that also deposited the debris around the standing heads. Uh, Thor Heidel found that the Shah Rapa people of Charcha Poya in Peru made carvings extremely similar to the Easter Island statues. And uh, Easter Island is uh, uh, some distance uh, uh, from uh, Peru, but it's uh, almost directly, uh, it's almost directly um, east of Easter Island. Now, there there has not been a tremendous amount of I, I did the research and uh, uh, there's not been done a tremendous amount of research about these strange things that people found on different islands. Mm-hmm. But uh, the kind of thing that they found, for instance, were roads which are made of closely fitted stone that is so carefully cut that you can't even put a, a straw or a hair between them. So I, there, there's one where the, uh, the road runs right off down into the ocean. Mm-hmm. There are other places where they found steps leading into the ocean. But the, the whole idea, just take Easter Island, the stone that those heads are made out of does not exist on Easter Island. So where do they come from, and why did these people uh, you know, make these heads? I mean, it's a small island. It is pretty strange. Make, to make 800 heads like that, yeah, actually statues, uh, is crazy. Now, another interesting thing Churchford wrote about was that all five races existed in Mu, which appears to have been validated by a man named Jakob Rogovin, who visited Easter Island in 722 and found three distinct groups of people, dark-skinned, red-skinned, and very pale-skinned people with red hair. Now, Easter Island is only 15.3 miles long and 76.0 miles wide. Now, where in heaven's name did these three different people come from? Hmm. They had to have come from Mu. Right. Uh, one uh, Polynesian name of Easter Island is, I'm sure I'll pronounce this incorrectly, Tapito O Tahunehenua, which translated into English is thought to mean Naval of the World. Today, Cusco, Peru is called Naval of the World. And as I said, Easter Island is almost directly west of Cusco. Yeah, and Peru is definitely becoming very popular in the New Age movement as a as a central place to go and visit, and uh, for uh, people are feeling the kind of connection to Peru a lot more strongly. I'll get to that. I hope uh, uh, at the end of this presentation. Uh, now, let me. See. Oh, yeah, this this is very interesting. Uh, you may be familiar living in Los Angeles with the Chumash Indians. Yes. of California, uh, the Chumash claimed that their ancestors arrived in California after a great flood. The Chumash are believed to have settled in California. Now, this is uh, by uh, anthropologists, uh, are uh, said to have believed, uh, are believed to have settled in California, including Santa Barbara and Los Angeles 13,000 years ago. Well, that's the same time that Casey and Churchward said that the last inundation of Mu uh, occurred. Uh, when they're asked about their origins, the Chumash point westward toward the Pacific Ocean as the home of the first people. Hmm. 
the Chumash also honor a place of the West they call the land of the dead. Now, in a similar vein, both Hawaiians and the Maori of New Zealand say their far ancestors were people of Mu. So here we've got three people already, and the four people already, that say they came from Mu. The Maori, the Hawaiians, the Chumash, and the Hopi. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, in Inca lore, uh, a man named Manco Kapak and his wife Mama Aklo, who called themselves children of the sun. That was a name for the people of Mu. They all called themselves children of the sun. So these two people were calling themselves children of the sun. They are said to have landed after a great deluge at the islands of Lake Titicaca, and there set up a civilization. The Inca claimed direct descent from those two, also calling themselves children of the sun. It's not true, and I'll get to that in a minute, but they that's what they call themselves. Now, um, in uh, articles in uh, the New York Times in 1966, uh, Dr. Robert J. Menzies, director of Duke University's oceanographic uh, program, was working on his research, research ship off the coast of Peru uh, when his deep-sea cameras photographed four carved rock columns 6,000 feet under water. And the columns were covered with what appeared to be some sort of writing. So that's another bit of uh, archaeology. Let me go on to something else here. We don't I just have... wanted to add here about the archaeology that it's becoming more and more evident that there are real sunken cities. And I found two really interesting ones because one is off India's coast and it was yeah. evidently in the myth, it was in the mythical kingdom from the Mahabharata. And supposedly, Lord Krishna, after a battle, decided to leave the city of Dwarka. And then it went under water, and it turned out to be an actual real city, which they they discovered in 1963. And so they're that, taking it more seriously, some of the mythology, to find the truth in it, you know, the kernels of truth, and not just saying, oh, it's just some sort of made-up thing and symbolizes well, there, something. There, there apparently is a, a, a city off the coast of Japan also. They haven't really... Uh investigated extensively, but uh, and they found some uh, structures that uh, seem to be man-made. So you have to consider, I, think I read somewhere that uh, the oceans are about 300 feet higher now than they were a long time ago. Right. So, uh, you know, we don't know how many cities. I mean, you know, Troy was uh, supposedly a myth, and then it turned out to be a real city. Oh, that's so right. There's, there's, there's a lot of cities that uh, are missing. Yes. Uh, let me see what I want to get to here next. Okay. In the pre-Incan city of Chan Chan, which means Sun Sun, there is a wall painting that shows a sunken pyramid city with fish swimming above it. The name of the people who created Chan Chan is Chimu. The founder of Chan Chan Tai Ka Na Mu is said to have been given a royal commission from a great lord from across the sea to create a city, which he did, which was Chan Chan. Hmm. And Tiwanaku in Bolivia, near the border of Peru, is estimated to be 17,000 years old. It was a major ceremonial center mm -hmm. and focal point of a culture that spread across much of the region. One writer has noted the most tantalizing fact is that the Tiwanaku culture has no roots in that area. It did not grow there from humbler beginnings, nor is any other place of origin known. The culture seems to have appeared practically full-blown suddenly. And then the site was mysteriously abandoned by its people. And this is this is one of the favorite uh, phrases of uh, <laughs> of uh, uh, archaeologists about Tiwanaku, about all of the ruins uh, up and down South America. 
about some ruins in Mexico, which I'll get to momentarily. They they keep on saying, oh, the people just uh, disappeared mysteriously. And before I did the research, you know, I'd say, well, you know, maybe uh, 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 ETs picked them all up and carried them away. Well, ancient really aliens obvious. would say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now, this is this is really interesting. Two of Tiwanaku's remaining features are a stone pyramid and a large carved stone gateway called Gateway of the Sun. And you can uh, you can get that uh, get up uh, on the the internet and uh, bring that up. In the center of which is the image of a, a so-called sun god, which has rays shooting from from its face in all directions. On either side of it are tiers of winged figures that have either human or condor heads, which are kneeling toward the sun god as a vowing allegiance. And each figure wears a crown and holds a scepter before him. Now, the sun god is sometimes called the weeping god because there are three tears carved on each cheek. Now, the strange thing about this gate is that the carvings are unfinished, leaving observers to wonder what could have so abruptly interrupted work on the gate. How did this huge solid piece of ancient stone get broken in half, and why was it found lying askew deep in silt until it was restored? Mm -hmm. And again, just as on Easter Island, here are a bunch of uh, artisans who are carving something massive, and all of a sudden, boom, they're stopped halfway through, and nobody knows why. What do the three tiers represent? Ah, oh, I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> you're, a good, you're, you're a good wingman. Okay. The number three represents Mu. That is its representation. Anytime you find anything in archaeology vaguely related to the Pacific with three somehow included in there, that refers to Mu because Mu has three land masses. Mm. So the three tiers, three tiers on the face of the sun god represents the fact that it was Mu and that Mu is now dead and the sun god is crying. And so of did, course, did, they, so did they have a sense that they were going to come to a final end then, do you think? The, the no, civilization? They, no, they did not. Every, every single example I ran across, people had no, uh, no uh, idea uh, it was uh, going to happen. And the Casey even mentioned uh, one person in a reading who had decided to go up on a mountain and do some studying, and he was sitting on this mountain when the whole civilization got wiped out, and he was virtually the only person left there. Oh, that's so horrible. Yeah. Well, uh, the, uh, the, the where this particular uh, uh, gateway, which I mentioned, uh, is uh, located, there virtually is never any rain. And uh, one person who had uh, uh, investigated this for years said that a stupendous wave must have come across the entire region and wiped out the entire civilization. So let me get to, I want to get to uh, one second here. I want to get to, uh, ah, here we are, Mexico. Now, I wasn't going to, I had no idea of, investigating Mexico. I didn't, you know, what does that got to do with Mu? Uh, oh, I want to mention one other thing. Uh, Peru's Machu Picchu has a gateway of the sun, and down the Inca road uh, of Machu Picchu on the mountain of Huayna Picchu is the Temple of the Moon. So there we go again, the Temple of the Sun, Temple of the Moon. Mm, yeah. So I hadn't paid much, very much attention to Mexico until uh, there was something peculiar about it. And uh, what uh, it turned out was it was written up in uh, one of Churchward's books. Now, the valley is believed to have been inhabited for at least 12,000 years. There we go back to 12,000 again. Mm -hmm. Now, at the, at the present time, the location of Mexico City is at the 7,350-foot 7, elevation. And there's something peculiar about that. 
for there is geological evidence that Mexico City suffered three great inundations in its far past. Hmm. So how could that happen What if, if it's uh, 7,300 feet up there? Right. Well, the, the fact is, uh, I'm going to skip over this and just summarize it a bit. There was a man named uh, William Niven, and he was an archaeologist, and he uh, was digging stuff up in the early 1900s. And he discovered all kinds of things, including 2,600 Andestine tablets of great antiquity. And he eventually sent rubbings of these to James Churchward, who believed that the symbols and markings on the tablets had roots in the ancient culture of Mo. However, even more fascinating, and I don't know why this guy kept on digging, but he just kept on digging. Mm -hmm. And he kept on digging for about 40 feet, and he discovered three civilizations, one on top of the other. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And the top one consisted of nine feet of boulders, uh, gravel, uh, sand, with uh, broken pottery. And then there was a pavement, and then under that pavement was 14 feet of small boulders, gravel, and sand. And underneath that was a layer of volcanic uh, ashes, under which was a buried city, and then there was a third pavement. And so there apparently had been three destruction, destruction of three, complete destruction of three civilizations in this same area. Did they date it? The dates are pretty much the same as they were with uh, uh, with uh, uh, the dates that the Casey and uh, uh, and uh, uh, Churchward said. Now. Like uh, Lake Titicata and its surrounding regions, the Mexico City area and its surrounding mountains and volcanoes, volcanoes was later thrust up to its present height, probably at the same time as Lake Titicata. So all across the uh, – just set back from the, the west coast of South America, Central America, uh, Mexico, and – the uh, western part of the United States, these mountains all came up. And geologists will tell you, uh, no, they came a million years ago, and church would say, no, it didn't. They, they came up something like 15 or 20,000 years ago. But it all happened at one time. So uh, the same thing happened with uh, Mexico City as happened with Tiwanaku. It had originally been at sea level, and while it was at sea level, it had been inundated three times in three different periods, and the civilization destroyed three times. And then the the mountains were thrust up uh, to this uh, height of 7,300 uh, feet uh, at the present time. So again, it's impossible that anything else but a enormous uh, tsunami, which was preceded by volcanoes, and uh, earthquakes uh, could have wiped up, uh, wiped out uh, three uh, uh, civilizations. Um, Catherine Ann Porter, you, you know her? Is she a writer? She was a writer. Yes. Yeah, she was a writer. At that time, she was a correspondent writing about the Mexican Revolution for United Press International, and she got to know Niven and uh, observed his excavations, and she wrote. I have dug out with my own hands skeletons and idols and pots and fragments of wall and roof many feet wow. underground, all of them scorched and blackened. Now, another one which really got me was, it is known that in Alaska and in Siberia, there are these huge remnants of um, elephants and mammoths and bison uh, all mixed together with uh, trees, and there are mix 
mixed with piles of bones and trees, also twisted and torn and piled in tangled groups, and the whole is covered with a fine sifting muck. Now, what do you think caused that? Tsunami? Well, your geologist will tell you it was caused by the ice, uh, the ice, what is it, what are they called? The glaciers uh, melting or? Glacier, glaciers, yeah. This is caused by glaciers. I went online yesterday to find out how fast a glacier goes. Guess how far fast the average glacier goes? No idea. <laughs> 10 inches a day. Oh, fairly slow. 10 inches a day. Now, you can't tell me that a glacier moving at 10 inches a day is going to sweep up huge piles of bison and trees and mammoths and mush them all together and cover them with this muck. It's impossible. It had to be a, a tsunami. So this, this went all the way up to Alaska and then also Siberia. Now, before we run out of time, let me, I want to get to the DNA because that is also fascinating. Hmm. Uh, I was just going to mention, I can't go into detail. I don't have enough time left. But uh, the language, there is a common root for, for the languages, which uh, goes from uh, the, the West Coast of South America up to all of the Western uh, Native American tribes up into Canada. And it does not come from Siberia, which uh, anthropologists insist that the Native Americans came from. No Native Americans came from Siberia. It's ridiculous. And I will tell you why in one moment. Okay. Studies of mitochondrial DNA also supply compelling evidence of a single specific population in the far ancient past. Although there are more than 40 major groupings of mitochondrial DNA, which are called haplogroups, only one of interest here is haplogroup B. Mitochondrial haplogroup B is one of the four major matrilineal Native American lineages in North America on the West Coast. In North America, haplogroup B is almost completely confined to the Southwest, Interesting. where two millennia ago, people from Mu had migrated. Mm -hmm. Haplogroup B came to North America, now get this, in three waves. <laughs> okay, so now we have another source that says three waves. Yes. It's fascinating how this, this keeps coming up, these three waves. Haplogroup B is densest along South America's western coast and is found as well in the Peruvian Andes and Bolivia, which makes the distribution of early Quechua speakers in those regions and both church words and cases contention that people from Mu had lived there. So you have a heavy concentration of Quechua speakers along the west coast of, of Peru, and then you also have this haplogroup B. B is the only mitochondrial haplogroup found on both sides of the Pacific Ocean. The Americas, the Philippines, Japan, China, Indonesia, Thailand, and Madagascar. It is also found in Mongolians, Tibetans, Koreans, and in populations of Vietnam, Malaysia, Taiwan, Micronesia, Melanesia, and Polynesia. The origin of the people of Melanesia and Polynesia is presently classified as, quote, unknown, as is the origin of haplogroup B. So you've got these haplogroup Bs all around the edge of the Pacific Ocean. Okay. Here, here, here's, was, here's another one uh, with the, the DNA. A 1991 paper on genetics note, a recent quote, a recent hypothesis proposes that three waves of migration populated the Americas. Wow. Here we go again. The three waves. Yep. Two lineages were observed exclusively in Amerindians, American Indians, mm -hmm. 
and were shared by all such tribal groups analyzed, thus demonstrating, I'm quoting, that North Central and South American Amerians originated from a common ancestral genetic stock. Now get this. We hypothesized that all Amerians derived from a population which experienced a dramatic reduction of its effective size and genetic variation, genetic variation before or during its migration to the America, Americas, which means before they came from Mu. There's definitely a lot of, I guess you would call it a preponderance of uh, evidence that, uh, like you said in the very beginning, that makes this a very strong case. Yeah, well, this isn't all, all that I have. You know, uh, we don't have enough time to uh, to uh, give everything there is there. But, uh, for example, I've got a whole section, uh, and uh, Churchward uh, wrote an entire book on symbols. And these symbols are all over the place. Uh, they're they're uh, around different parts of the world, and there are some actually in, North, in uh, New Mexico uh, uh, carved on boulders. The... Um, the what is it called now? Uh, this is one second. I can't think of the word. While you're the, doing that, uh, I wanted to uh, kind of plug. You have three books, I think, Kindle books about Mu, right? You have Mu, the first great civilization, uh, the healing secrets of the shamans of Mu, Emperor of the Sun, and how to obtain distant shamanic healing. They're all on Kindle, and two right now are free if you have Kindle Unlimited membership to download. They're all very inexpensive. So I did want to share that with people before we even get close to the end of the show. Right. Another time, uh, if you invite me again, I will talk about uh, my training as a shaman because the training I received, uh, I received from uh, Dr. Alberto Violdo, who's been doing this now for 30 years, and he trained with the Carol. He actually went down there and trained with them. And uh, this, he's been doing that for years and years, and he's been teaching for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. And so he got uh, this material uh, from the Carol and from some other uh, shamans in the Amazon. So this training goes back to the Carol, who go back to the Laika, who go back to the um, uh, the migrants who came from Mu, and eventually goes to Mu. So I've received training that was given in Mu. That's, and that's fascinating. I, I definitely want to do a, another show on that because of the little bit you told me about it. It's very uh, interesting and fascinating. And maybe there's something timely about all of this kind of coming to the surface more. You know, the fact that it's spreading to a Western man so that it can be reached by more people. Um, so I'm wondering if there's some significance to, you know, your interest, and maybe there are more, more people more interested in Moo and not, you know, the other lost continent, Atlantis, which has always had a lot of popular attention. Okay, I got a paragraph here that I was going to use at the very end, but I want, but since you bring it up, I want to read it. Uh, there's one possible clue to the reemergence of Moo in people's consciousness. Uh, you know, my my uh, my ebook on Moo sells better than any of my other books. Really? No. Now, why is that? I mean, who the heck ever heard of Moo? No one. I never heard of it. <laughs> well, why are these people buying my book? You know, they just show up month after month, and they're, they're buying this. So, uh, anyway, there is one possible clue to the reemergence of Moo in people's consciousness. There's a legend that the New Age will start in earnest when the condor of the South flies with the eagle of the North. The condor representing heart energy, the eagle representing intellect. Then I recently learned that the heart chakra of the earth, I didn't even know that the earth had chakras, but the heart chakra of the earth, which had been focused in Tibet for thousands of years, has moved to the sacred mountains of Peru. Shifting from taboo from Tibet's masculine energies to Peru's feminine energies. 
Well, you and know, the, the that... Tibetan leader, the Kamrapa, before the current Kamrapa, had a connection to the Hopi tribe. They met. Oh, and there, they, there I remember this go. story. They, they met and they honored each other, the Hopi, I don't know the member of the name of the Hopi chief, and they both gave each other the same ring. And, and so there was this odd connection with the Hopi, always meant to explore it, but I do remember that story. Well, two things. Uh, number one, the Tibetans uh, are descendants of the uh, teachers and priests of Mu. They knew that Mu was going to be destroyed, and they uh, one group went to Tibet, and they took with them their what they call the sacred mysteries. Mm-hmm. So they they directly uh, went went uh, to uh, uh, Tibet. So uh, anyway, so this idea of maybe this shift that the entire world is going through uh, is uh, going from the masculine to the feminine. I think we're seeing that right now in this country. I mean, we've got three women running for president right now, and uh, the woman's. Uh, 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 movement has uh, been uh, uh, growing exponentially. Right. Well, and, look, at, and then and, the House had all the women that came in. You know, the yeah the right. wave of women that, that came in, and that that's only that's only going to increase because uh, the women have suddenly realized that they have fifty two percent of the population, mm-hmm. and that means they can uh, they can go and elect many women as they want. Um, in Los Angeles, there was there's an interesting synchronicity with the condors. I follow a um, a wonderful Instagram page called the Daily James, and he basically has these great ravens. But he's always talking about this condor program in Los Angeles Zoo, where they have helped to restore condors. At one point, there was only 22 left, and because yeah. of this program, they have over 500. Most of them have been released, and some of them couldn't be released, and they, uh, the photos are amazing beings. They just look incredible. So I thought, well, that's an interesting coincidence that the condors are, are coming back, you know, into this area. And there are people yeah. that are really trying to help and support them. So I thought that was a nice uh, link to move. Well, again, keep in mind what I said. The condor represents heart energy. Mm-hmm. The eagle represents the intellect. Mm-hmm. So the United States has been uh, functioning on the intellect for the last uh, 160, 175 years, and it's time to uh, start functioning from the heart. Mm-hmm. And that has been uh, my lesson. So uh, I don't know. Well, let me let me give you a couple other things about myself. Sure. You you, men, you, you mentioned you know what, something about you know what has it got to do with me, right? Yes. Okay. Well, you know, you started this. I did. Yes, you did. Uh, in, in 1978, you got interested in numerology. You remember that? Oh, I do. I remember it. Yes. And one day you told me that I've got the number three all over me. And uh, here's what, what, remember, number three represents moo. Yes. Uh, okay. My time of birth is noon. One and two, that's three. My, my date of birth comes out to three. My, the letters in my first name come out to three. The letters in my last name come out to three. All the vowels in my full name come out to three. All my, all my consonants added together in my full name come out to three. You told me that, actually. You I don't forgot. even remember. I do remember studying numerology, and I remember the book, too, that I, that I studied. So. I, just, I figured out the basic odds. The odds are five million to one to this happening. Okay. In 1982, I had a brief past life recall of the life in Moo. In 1986, I was drawn to California when I swore I'd never go to California. Hmm. And I first was living in Santa Barbara. Then I moved to Los Angeles in 1988, where I had a past life recall of being a Native American in the L.A. Basin. And I later read that the Chumash had people both areas long ago. So I have, I have a hunch that I was a Chumash mm-hmm. way back when. Mm-hmm. In 2005, I began to study Peruvian Carol shamanism, and I have no, I have no idea why. And I attended the first sh- first workshop in Utah, and the next two in a state park near Santa Barbara. 
and all both of those areas are where migrants from Mu had lived. In 2007, I was drawn to Santa Fe, New Mexico, which reason, as I've mentioned, immigrants from Mu had come in prehistory, leaving their symbols on rocks in New Mexico, mm-hmm. whose state represents Mu. The state symbol is a circle with four sets of four lines coming out of it. This is a symbol of Mu. Wow. The circle rep- the symbol represents the sun, which is Mu. The four lines represent the four great forces that created the, the universe, which is one of the symbols that's associated uh, with Mu. Now this is this is this is this is a fun fun one. A few months after I moved to Santa Fe, I decided to give uh, interested person the sacred Munaiki rites. And one Sunday, a man called up and said, uh, "I don't seem to know where you are. Where are you?" And I said, uh, "You're right next door to me." <laughs> and and uh, at that, he said, "Have you looked uh, in your front yard?" And I went to the front window, and I saw three deer grazing in my yard. Oh, that's so beautiful. So Pachamama was inviting me or was uh, telling me that I was welcome. If that's not crazy enough, about two days later, I get an email from somebody who shows a picture of three bears in Alaska (laughs) lounging in somebody's front yard. (laughs) Universe is really having a joke on you there. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, you know, Alistair well, Crowley would say that the more you remember your past lives, the more you really know who you are now and where you're meant to, where your purpose lies. Well, what what Alberto Violdo told us that when I, I can't remember now exactly what uh, what it had it had to do. I think it had to do with one of the. Um, Munaiki writes, he said, we would start remembering things which we never knew. Hmm. And I find this every once in a while is the case. You know, it's not like it's a sudden memory, but I get an impression of something. And it seems to fit, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's uh, very peculiar. But anyway. So uh, I don't know if you have any uh, questions at this point or whatever, but uh, there is more evidence there. There is, uh, uh, for example, uh, I have one section in the book on symbols, which is very interesting, and another one which is really crazy. There is a group of stones that were found near the city of Ica, I-C-A, in Peru, and there are supposedly 11,000 of them. Uh, one person has them, and others have another 4,000. And these stones are completely carved over. Each stone is completely carved over. So I think there's some controversy on those stones, though, as whether they're yeah, real or I, not. And I, I don't didn't do enough research, but there was uh, there's debate about whether they're fake or real or not. Yeah, well, I know I know the story on that. Uh, but uh, tell me, who in their right mind would go and make fifteen thousand fakes? That is a lot. Maybe some of them are fake. That could be possible. Maybe some are real. Well. If uh, if your if your listeners have a computer, they can get on on uh, Google and Google the Ica stones, I C A of Ica Peru, and uh, you'll see. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Google the images of right. the Ica stones, and you'll see four uh, pictures of Ica stones, and underneath that it says more images, and if you click on that link you'll see a whole huge page full of these stones. And if you see those, and if you think that they are uh, fakes, I'd be very surprised. They are very intricate. This is not something that some uh, peasant decided he's going to mess around with. They are extremely extremely, uh, intricate stones. And the reason uh, they are called fakes is because they were probably robbed from graves Mm. way back when. So they get in and trouble when, if the they... <laughs> when when somebody tried to take them out of the country, take them out of the country, 
they were going to prosecute the man who sold it to them yeah. because you're not allowed to go and dig them out of your graves. So uh, he said they were fakes. Yeah, that's and quite so possible. That, so we are uh, we are about to finish the show up. We thank you so much for being on the show. That was fascinating. And I hope you listeners really enjoyed it and that your mind is now turned on to Moo if you've never heard of it. So thanks again, Dad. You bet. And join us next week as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure. Thanks so much. See you next week.